Ephesians 1, verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, grace and, or grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 is interesting, and that's where we're going to sit today for a little bit, is this phrase or these phrases are mentioned again and again in introduction letters to the church, what are called epistles, which means letters. There were letters that God inspired those leaders back then to send to the churches because churches were facing different things, different churches were, just like they do today. We're starting to face things in the United States that, you know, other churches are not facing, say, in Central America, or maybe they have been facing it and greater, maybe in the Middle East. You with me? And so there are different things that are addressed in the book of Ephesians to, uh, to attempt to help them where they were at. And so here, uh, this is something that's uniform. Many times you'll see this as Paul was writing or different people were writing those words, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk about that. What does that mean? You know, is it just some religious catch phrase, you know, grace and peace to you, and then that means nothing? I mean, if you went through a drive-thru and you ordered a chocolate shake and they said, a chocolate shake and french fries to you, and you left with nothing, so that's so awesome. They just, they do that every time I come here. They're like, shake and fries. And it's just, it's so meaningful. Is it really that meaningful if you don't get a shake and fries? Right? You know, there's been a video that's been going around here recently about somebody going to a drive-thru. And, you know, there's these prank videos. And then they film it and put it on the Internet. And then loads of people, millions of people watch them sometimes. And um, this one is probably one of those ones where they put a train horn in a car. And they go up and go, you know, to the drive-thru. And so this girl is standing there. And um, with a like a big soda, and they just do that. And she went, oh, you're not going to get it. And threw something in there and then threw the soda in the car. Just flicked it. And then they, you know, play thug music like she's like some gangster or something. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, they got something when they went through the drive-thru. That's all I'm saying. Right? I mean, they can't say, well, I didn't get nothing. Oh, that was nice. We went through the drive. Listen, if, if he said grace and peace to you, I would hope that grace means something and peace means something. I mean, if I said I'm going to give you a bar of gold, you might think, that means something to me, wouldn't you? So if he is just, do, is he filling space? Like, you know, we have verse 1, we have verse 3, we need a verse 2. So let's just fill this in. This isn't just a fill-in. This is a super purposeful thing 
You know, I remember hearing a minister who uh, got ordained through a certain group of people. He had started a number of churches back in the 20s and 30s, and, uh, or late, late teens and in the 20s, and then started traveling all over the world, and he just started churches. He'd find old abandoned schools and go start one, because uh, God had called him into the ministry. And, and people said, well, what group are you with? He said, I don't know. The Lord just dealt with me to do this, so I'm just doing it. And they said, well, you need an organization. Organization. So he was started turning these churches over to this denomination because it's the only one he knew. And so he thought, well, okay, I'll join up with them. So he went, and, and they said, well, they said, you, you need to get ordained. He thought, I've thought if God ordered me to do this, I didn't need a man to recognize me, but okay, I'll do it. So he went to this meeting where there was a bunch of young ministers that were getting ordained into this denomination and this group of people. And so they did this ceremony and stuff, and the head guy got up there, and these guys came up, and this guy came up too. And he said, um, you know, they prayed for them, and uh, laid hands on one person. They went down and prayed and stuff like that and prayed for him. Then they got to this man and prayed for him. And then he went on praying for people. And this guy didn't know anything, but he had some sense. And he just was standing there like this. And he said he did it right there in front. He looked at the guy. He said, did you get anything? And the guy went, no. And he went to the other guy. He said, did you, did you get anything? He said, no. Said, neither did I. Well, he had enough sense that if people are putting their hand on you, you ought to get something. Then why do it? Well, I got grease on my forehead. Well, that's, I could have done that myself. Right? And so we should have enough sense that if some, why put your hand on somebody then if you don't get something? And he just thought after that, he thought, what was the purpose of that? I didn't get anything. And he had read his Bible enough to think, hey. And so if they're proclaiming grace to you and peace, I mean, if we don't know what grace is, that's one thing. But people know what peace is and know what peace isn't, or at least have some kind of idea. And so he said, grace to you and peace from God. So this peace is from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts this letter off and other ones. So if he starts it off in this one and others, then there must be a real purpose in this or else why keep putting this in? Why? Why interject this again and again, this grace and peace be to you if it meant nothing, and it meant you're not going to get nothing. Unless the same motto holds true, we have a verse 2 or a verse 3 that needs to be filled. No, that's not what it is, because they didn't write these in chapter and verse. That was added later for us so that I could say, turn to Ephesians 1, because you imagine, you know, people who maybe don't know the Bible and they're getting new, you know, getting going and they're new and you, you got a book like Psalms, you know, or, well, Ephesians or the book of Acts that's got 20-something chapters and I'm like, well, turn about three-quarters away. You know where it says uh, there was a council of the church? Well, you know, and they came together. We're going to read that right now. People would be like, 
You know how long people would be all looking? And, but now I can say it's the 15th chapter where they met. And so this is important that it's at the beginning. It's important what he said. And there ha- if he said it's to you and it's from God, can there be a failure on God's part? Can there be ignorance on our part? Is there something that we are supposed to be getting? If it was important for the rest of them to get it, then is it true for you to have grace to you and peace to you? And if you got it, could you know it? It's a good question. Could you know it? Should you know it? I mean, most people, if you went to the grocery store to get some stuff and you came home with a smile only, hello, so what are we going to barbecue? Your smile? That's, we need something, right? And it's one thing to come in with the smile and leave with the smile. It's one thing to dance and shout, but, but we need to leave with something. And when he addressed them, the, he wasn't even there. This is the interesting thing. He wasn't even there. He sent the letter. Now, he had been to this church. He had prayed for them to get filled with the Spirit, and he did go back to this church, but he wasn't there at the time of the writing. So this had to be so profound that just by the reading of this, grace and peace would be imparted to them. So that means we're reading it so could grace and peace be imparted to us. Well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yes, it should, right? And so we should be able to know, like, don't we know, like, when we're driving in the car on a trip and we know we've got a certain amount of gas? I like the car I have right now, but there are maybe, there's one main thing, maybe two things. The second one really doesn't affect me. But the first one, I, I, I think, man... Out of all things, my gas tank holds only a 15, 16 gallons, about 16 gallons, so you get 300 miles to a tank. Somebody's like, well, that's great. I can get to the store and back. Well, I'm not thinking like that. I'm thinking like I have to stop on the way to California or right when I get there. Or if I go up to the north, you know, what, you know, you can't go like, 450, 500 miles on a tank of gas, you've got to stop twice in a 600 mile, but really probably three times because it's not like, you know, you just go right to 300 and there's a gas station. I wish I had a bigger tank, but I'm paying attention and I know where this is at, how full it is. It's measurable, right? Is this measurable? Can you know if you have grace working? Can you know if you don't have it working? Can you become familiar? Can you know if peace is working or not working? And does he want it to work in your life? Does he want it to be something you go full, three-quarters full? It's happening. It's in me. It's to me. And so if he said grace to you, what is grace? Grace in the Bible, you know, you need to think of it like this is like fuel. 
You say, like, what do you mean fuel? It's like this concerning fuel. Fuel is different and has different applications, has different substance in it. So grace has different substance. Meaning, if it's like fuel, jet fuel only works on jet engines. You wouldn't want to put that in a car. You wouldn't want to put it in a diesel truck. But you wouldn't want to take diesel fuel and put it in a jet engine because it wouldn't work either. I know from my experience with jet fuel, which is very little, but when we used to do commercial buildings in California, some of them were so big they couldn't use cranes to put an air conditioning unit on the building. So what they would do is they would clear out a big, because usually they had quite big parking lots, they'd clear them out, bring in these trucks, and drop these air conditioning units, put these big straps on them, clear the job site, because they would bring a jet fuel tanker truck there, and then they would bring in a jet helicopter to lift them up onto the building and place them, because the buildings were so big, you know, that they couldn't just, lift them with a crane they would be too far in but they would talk about how volatile or how that jet fuel is a lot worse you know in the sense of being able to catch on fire be flammable and things like that than just regular fuel but we could have brought that jet fuel there but it wouldn't have helped me get home because my truck ran on unleaded fuel you with me and if somebody else had some uh diesel fuel that wouldn't have helped me but it could have helped them and so grace is like that grace has different applications it's freely given it's not something you have to beg for it's just it's distributed freely by god but grace in its in its primary functions one is to strengthen people one is for salvation and everything that's purchased in salvation the other is for acts of service to god and so with that being said, when he said grace to you and peace, let's look at what grace is. Grace in this area is he was basically saying strength. Strength to you and peace from God. So the Bible tells us God does not lack in strength. And so this grace that's from God is free strength. And strength can help you in so many ways in the Bible. It can help you to comprehend truth. It can help you in your spiritual man. It can fortify you in your walk with God. This kind of grace that he's talking about. As a matter of fact, if you turn to 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, uh, uh, maybe a familiar verse of Scripture to, to some people, you may have heard this when Paul said, you know, you know, Lord, he said, concerning this thing, he pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from him. And people have said, well, it was sickness. And people have said it was this. And those things are not true. It wasn't sickness. It was being persecuted here. They were under uh, pressure. He was under, people were following him and attacking him in the ministry. And so in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 uh, this is God's response to him concerning the persecutions he was facing. He said, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in infirmities and 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What was he saying? In this area where these people are against me, I don't feel that strong. But the Lord said, I'm not going to remove them from you. Because the Lord had told him, everywhere you go, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be thrown in jail. The Lord had already told him that. So he said, my grace is sufficient for you. Then he said, for my strength. This is actually interchangeable here. You could read it backwards. You could say, where he said, and he said to me, my grace, instead of grace, you could say, my strength is sufficient for you. For my, it says strength, you could change it. For my grace is made perfect in weakness. In other words, you can see it. You'll recognize it. When you're weak, when this grace comes, you're going to be able to measure it. How are you going to measure it? You're going to go, whoa, I have strength. I have strength, and strength is measurable, right? Isn't it? I mean, go to a gym, a stre- uh, because if you go to a gym, you can tell right away strength is measurable because they put weight measurements on there so you can know, hey, because when you get stronger, you may put more weight on because your strength is measurable. You with me? And his strength is measurable, and his strength can affect you in all kinds of ways. It's interesting, in the Bible, we're told to come to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So you are invited to go to the throne of grace and say, God, I need this, and you'll be able to find it. What will you find there? You'll find his strength for you. It's interesting in Colossians, the first chapter, and Ephesians, the third chapter, Paul, who wrote or talked about this here, prayed for the people that they would be strengthened inside by his glorious power. That's that grace. You can ask God to strengthen you inside and other believers by his spirit. And it's interesting because One of the things that he said in Colossians when he said, you know, and grace has to be measurable. And where I maybe couldn't have lifted something before, if I had more grace or strength, then I would be able to measure it by the ability to lift that weight, right? I would go, I could do that. Well, here's the thing. What if you've stumbled in an area and stumbled in an area and stumbled in an area that you recognize God does not want you to stumble, you felt bad about it and went, God, what's my problem? But maybe you didn't approach Him correctly because you didn't go to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Forgive me, Lord. I've been messing up in that area. And find grace or strength to help in time of need. Well, Colossians, the first chapter, when he prayed for them, he said he prayed that they'd be strengthened by God's glorious power. That's the grace we're talking about. For all patience, long-suffering with joy. What does he mean, patience? When you get hit with a troubled time, you can stand up and not stumble. Well, what would his strength do? He was talking about persecutions there. It would help you get through them without collapsing. You ever been tempted? You need grace. You with me? 
Even Jesus, when he was tempted, the Bible said that, you know, after his temptation, it said, and you know, because you can get weak if you're not careful when you're being tempted. Anybody ever notice that? It take, can take something out of you. The Bible said when Jesus was tempted, after his temptation, the Bible said an angel came and strengthened him. He got grace. He got strength to help him because he had a journey he still had to go on. You with me? And we have a journey that we need to go on. And if we will just, ask, we could ask for somebody else, instead of talking about another Christian failing and how they're miserably missing it and how many times are they going to do this, let's say something more like, God, give them grace and strength. You know, there's a scripture in Romans that talks about, you know, not judging another man's servant to his own master. He stands or falls. And it says, surely he will be able to be made to stand. So we could pray for people who are stumbling and seeing things and pray for his grace, his strength, and they might all of a sudden start going, woo, I'm making it. They will start getting strength. And they may be thinking, woo, finally I'm coming through. I finally grew strong. They didn't know there was a supply of strength and grace that was given to them. You can ask this for yourself. You can ask this for your family. And God's grace will be real to you. You with me? And you might think, I don't know how I made it through. There have been times I didn't know how I made it through some things. And I went, I made it through. Now you could get all cocky and go, you know, I've been through some tough stuff and I Wait till you get there. Well, the reason why maybe we make it is God's grace. It is accessible. God will deal with people to pray for people in situations. Why? So he can impart his grace or his strength. Here's another thing you can do about this grace. He didn't pray for it here, though there are other places. He just pronounced it. He just pronounced it. He said, grace be to you and peace. You're allowed to pronounce things that rightfully belong to you from God. You could say, God, thank you for your grace. I declare your grace and strength is working in me. I don't feel strong right now. No, my gas tank doesn't feel full when I go to the gas station either. You with me? Now, sometimes I'll go to the gas station and top it off, but a lot of times I go, oh, it's about a quarter of a tank. Here we go. Right? My gas tank isn't like, ooh, I'm full. I feel full. Everything's fine. No, it's empty. It's crying. You know, it's getting close to W. Somebody said W. Yeah, walk. <laughs> and so you know you get there and you're done. You're walking or you're calling a tow truck or somebody or somebody to bring you some gas. But your tank isn't saying, I'm full. No. But you put it in there and you fill it up. Well, you can declare, I have grace from you because he told you, he invited you to come to the throne of grace. Philemon 6 says that the communication of your faith, the acknowledgement of your faith becomes effective when you acknowledge every good thing that's yours in Christ. So you can start acknowledging his grace and his grace will be sufficient. It will begin to work for you. I'd challenge you. You know, talk to yourself. And the people in the world are doing it all the time. 
You can do it walking, driving down the street now, and they'll totally think you're normal. And you're just not talking to yourself. You're declaring His grace in your life. You with me? So let's look at this other part here before we go. So grace be to you and peace, or you could say strength be to you. Grace, His working, be to you and peace. If grace is measurable, peace has to be measurable too. You with me? Jesus said this in John 14, and it would be good for your eyes to fall on this. And if you have a Bible and you can write in it, you should mark this. And if you can't write in it, just mark in it. If it's a tablet, you, you, know, you don't write on your screen, but if you have an application, you know, or an app where you can write or leave a note, you might want to. This is important right here. Not like everything else I said wasn't, but this is important. John 14, Jesus was getting ready to leave. He was preparing. This is at the end of his ministry. And he makes a profound statement that is true to them and true to us because there are other verses. But in John 14... Notice this in verse 27. He said, peace, I leave with you. My peace. So he gave them peace, but he didn't just say peace. Like from the world, he said, my peace. He went a step further and he said, my peace, I give to you. And then he goes on to make it even plainer and kind of tearing away at maybe someone's opinion who might think, everybody be quiet, you're robbing me of my peace. This isn't that kind of peace. We need to go somewhere to have this peace. People that have this peace can have this peace whether they're in jail, if they're getting burned at the stake for their faith. And I'm not suggesting try that, though. I'm just saying this peace is not determined by everything going on around you. He said, my peace or peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. He said, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So this peace can stop you or stop a troubled heart. This peace is given to you. Notice this. I want to read this verse here in Luke 17. And it's a familiar verse, but will help us to recognize peace is for the believer. Peace that the world does not know, we can know by experience. And it's not a worldly peace. It's not a peace you can get from drinking. It's not a peace you can get from hypnosis or whatever else. It's not like the world gives. The world cannot, you can't do enough drugs to get this peace. Because you can't get it from the world. You know, like the one song said, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. But he said, my peace I give to you. 
John 17, verse 20, notice this in the 21st verse. Now the fair, or I'm sorry, verse 20, 17, 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. When's the kingdom of God going to come? The Jewish people right now today in the Middle East are still waiting for the kingdom of God to come. They're preparing to do sacrifices again and everything, and they're waiting for an earthly kingdom to come. Jesus said, though, before an earthly kingdom comes, there will be a kingdom that comes. And here's where he said it in verse 20. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. One I've translation, I believe, says an outward observation. In other words, you can't just look and go, there it is. There's the kingdom. An invading army brings the kingdom. When Jesus comes, the kingdom comes with Jesus. Notice what he said in verse 21. Nor, so it's not outward observation, nor will they say, see here or see there. In other words, there it is. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. When the kingdom comes, it comes in you. When Jesus comes, he comes in you, and he sets up inside of you his kingdom. Right? He sets up his kingdom, and he sits inside of you by his spirit. And he calls shots. He witnesses to you that you're saved. He deals with you about right and wrong. He teaches you out of the Word of God. He strengthens you and He does all kinds of things by the kingdom that's in you. You with me? He does that. Now turn to Romans 14. So if a person receives the Lord, they actually receive the kingdom of God. The kingdom, there's a whole kingdom in you. There... There is more in the believer many times than, than they recognize. Even if they're recognizing quite a bit, they may not realize there is a king and a kingdom and a throne and it's inside of you. And he doesn't leave. So we don't have to say, don't leave me, Lord. Because he said, I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. So some of our religious teaching does damage to our belief when we say, come Lord. And we say, please don't leave me, Lord. Pray for me that the Lord will be with me today. That's like saying his kingdom leaves. So, Romans 14. Romans 14. And we're talking about grace... To you, and I'll include me, and peace. And this is how he starts off. Grace is a real commodity that brings strength to you. And you can just ask for it, not looking to feel something. It's a spiritual commodity. But just like a gas tank will register and will affect how your car runs, so it is too with grace. So it is with peace. I mean, who knows? Grace might be like gas in the tank, but peace could be like the air conditioning too. Make life a little more comfortable to have a little bit of peace and travel with peace. Right? 
I was going to say something, but we'll just keep going. John 14. I, I did, but, but we read John 14 before. Let's go to Romans 14, right? I was just trying to remind you. I couldn't miss it. John 14 is where we read before. Now we're going to Romans 14 because I'm there actually. Romans 14, verse 17. Where is the kingdom of God? It's in you. In your head? No. In your body? Well, in one sense, yes, but it's in your spirit. Your spirit's been made brand new. You're a child of God, and He lives in you with His goods. But if you live according to your feelings, you may not recognize them, but it doesn't mean there isn't an effect. Romans 14, now that you're all there, verse 17, for the kingdom of God, where is it? Within you. For the kingdom of God is in you. For the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. What does that mean? It's not in all those ceremonies. Because before, how they functioned in the kingdom and worked with God was, don't eat this, you know, eat this, offer up this sacrifice, do this, make this day this way and do this. He said, the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking anymore. It's not in the sacrifice. You know, the physical sacrifices. He said, notice, but. So the kingdom of God is not this, but implies it is this, but righteousness, which means good standing with God, that's by grace. You don't get in good standing with God because of all your wonderful deeds. It's a gift that you got when you were saved. Notice it's in, in you, it's in you, and it's in righteousness, and notice it's in peace, so this kingdom has peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Turn to Hebrews 7. I'm going to ask this, a king and a kingdom, right? And the kingdom is in you. Who is the king of the kingdom? And how is your heart supposed to be? And what does God want in your life? What does he want? And we're going to close in this stretch of Scripture right here. And I'm going to try and make this as simple as possible. But there was an Old Testament priest named Melchizedek. He just, if you read the Bible, it seems like he just came on the scene. And he blessed Abraham, who really was given all the promises. And uh, Abraham gave him a tithe to Melchizedek, which, you know, which it means a tenth part. And then when he did that, it said that, that this Melchizedek, this priest, blessed him and different things. So this priest was really like a king, actually, as you read. Through the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us that Jesus now has a heavenly ministry as a high priest, and he was put into position there according 
or in the same fashion that Melchizedek ruled. Melchizedek was a picture of the coming Jesus, what he would look like. Like, like the Bible said, you know, Moses was a shepherd and he was like a shepherd over the people of God like Jesus is. Melchizedek is kind of a pre-picture of what Jesus would be like. And we're going to close with this, but we're going to realize something about Jesus and how he rules your life now and how he wants to rule your life. We know this, that a king, you know, if you ever watch the movies, even the king of England, you know, they don't wear the crown anymore. You know, I think occasionally they do. But man, have you ever seen their crowns? We all get a crown and we get to reign as kings for eternity with the Lord. Ours will blow those away, but they're pretty phenomenal, you know, for natural sake. You know, just rubies and, you know, diamonds and they're just, you know, it's, it's a symbol. This is the head of our state. But kings would have robes, but kings would also have a scepter. That not to be mistaken with a court gesture, jester. A scepter was a thing that they held in their hand that was symbolic. You know, you'd see them, they would have like a, they'd be ornamental, but they would be like the same thing with their crown, diamonds and stuff like that. And people would come up and they would take their scepter and they would bless people or pronounce things and touch people. You know, I've seen the movies. I know how this works. But they would have that, and they'd stand there, you know, like this. And that scepter represented how they ruled, and it was representative of them, and they would confer things that way too. And it's interesting here now knowing those things, these verses. Verse 1, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, so he was a king of Salem, what does Salem mean? Right? Our country, though people don't agree that we were brought up on godly things, you know, Philadelphia is from the Greek word phileo, which is, means brotherly love, and they call it Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Salem literally in the, means peace. Notice, for Melchizedek, king of Salem, or peace priest of the most high God, so he was a king and a priest. Jesus is a king and a priest right now. Who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him. He blessed him. He blessed him. He blessed him. To whom also, because Abraham had just come back from getting a spoil, he got riches. It says, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. First being translated, in other words, king of righteousness. The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness. So he's interpreting the meaning of this king. Righteousness, first being translated righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Talking about Melchizedek, blessing him. 
without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. What is he saying here? It wasn't that he didn't have parents. They were just never recognized. This guy came on the scene. The world didn't know who Jesus' real parents were. It wasn't Joseph and Mary. It was God. He was born of a virgin. But made like the Son of God, who is Jesus, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth part of his spoils, or gave a tithe. And indeed, those who are sons of Levi, notice this, receive the priesthood, having commandment to receive tithes. So before this guy, or, before, or after this, there was a different priesthood, and they would receive tithes from, whom the peop- um, from the people according to the law. That is, from their brethren, among whom they have uh, come from the loins of, or through, I'm sorry, let me back up. From their brethren through, or th- I'm sorry, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. In other words, their brethren were raised up as a priest. Jesus came through a natural birth. Notice verse 6. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham. That's Melchizedek. And blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser was blessed by the better. Here men receive, or here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. In other words, Jesus lives, and when we give the tithe here, it says there he receives them. And then it says, even Levi who received tithes paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. Why? Because he was still in his loins. For he was still in his loins or inside of his father, so to speak. Uh, And his father, when Melchizedek met him. What he's talking about is this Melchizedek being a high priest and he's a king. Jesus, as Bible said, Concerning him in Hebrews, it says the kingdom, you know, Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Here, the type and shadow is called the Prince of Peace. The Bible said the scepter of his kingdom is peace. Jesus is the king, and his scepter is a scepter of peace and righteousness. Abraham was blessed by this Melchizedek. Jesus is now the high priest. He's now the king over the kingdom. And his scepter and his ruling is in peace. And so when we have Jesus as our Lord, one thing we should know is when we are blessed of him, we are blessed with peace. And peace is something of grace. Peace is something that is freely given. Jesus didn't qualify people getting peace. He said, if you're of the kingdom of God, grace and peace are yours. Righteousness, peace, and joy are yours. As a matter of fact, Galatians 5 said that the fruit of the Spirit, of your Spirit that comes from God's Spirit, the first thing He said is love. From within, and the very second thing he said was peace. Peace. 
What is fruit? Fruit is the quality of something in a tree that when manifest brings forth something to eat of, to partake of, right? We call them fruit trees because they bear fruit. And he said the fruit of the Spirit is love. So we can bring forth love. Haven't we had trees that are fruit trees that didn't bring forth fruit? So you can have the ability to bring forth peace. You just need to learn how. One of the primary things is to recognize that you do have it. Water it. How do you water peace? Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 3 concerning teaching from the Bible. This is why, you know, sometimes people say, well, they don't teach the wrong thing over there. It's not an issue always of teaching wrong. It's not being watered what is right. Because Paul said this, one man plants, another one waters concerning being taught the truth in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, but God brings the increase. So people, when they teach, if you've never heard it before, it plants. But once you hear it again, it waters. So maybe this is the first time you found out as a Christian that there is divine grace and strength for you. And it's a seed. And maybe it's the first time you found out that I, there is divine peace in me. So this is a seed to you about it. But the other side is this. What are you going to do with the seeds? What if you planted seeds? Anybody have a garden? Want a garden? When you plant them, that's the initial induction in the soil of something that is going to bring forth. When you got saved, these things got put in you. Now you just need to water them so that they can be cultivated in you. So what we should do is maybe go back over these verses and go, His peace He gave to me. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And so therefore, peace is having its way in me. It's growing. Grace is having its way in me. Strength is growing. I mean, if it's a seed first, and you want it to bring forth a constant harvest, so I'd like more peace. Not the world's peace, but God's peace. If I have God's peace in motion, I will not want for what the world offers because I will have what they're saying they can give. But what they can give can't be given like he gives. So some people, this is being watered. Peace is yours. Peace is yours. Peace is yours. That's just watering because that's what he said. But the world says you don't have peace. You need to do this. In the world we live, you got to smoke pot. You said, what's that? Marijuana. No. No, you don't. But the thing is, 
what are you going to give them instead? A rule? Or what they're looking for? And so God doesn't just want us to give this to people. He wants you to have it, first of all. It's interesting in the Bible, and we're going to close with this. When Jesus taught about the kingdom, he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, there are different times he used this illustration. But he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out smaller than everything. You know, he said it's the least of all herbs, seed-wise. And he said, but when it's planted and it grows, eventually it grows so big, it grows bigger than all the other herbs. Now, I've never been to the Middle East and looked at the mustard, but there might be mustard seeds here that have been planted, but I don't know, didn't, well, I shouldn't say don't. I didn't know what they looked at, so it looked like, so I've looked in the past at the pictures, and uh, man, they can look almost like a tree. And here's the interesting thing. He said the kingdom of God is like that, and the kingdom of God is in you. There's stuff in you that needs to be watered. You don't have to beg God, give me peace. You could just say, God, I thank you. Your peace is in me. You said it. Your grace, I can obtain it. I have grace, I can get more grace. Because the Bible said God will give more grace to the humble. You mean you can get more? You can get more strength. You can get more help. You can get more grace. But you can water what you got. And he said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that when it's first planted is smaller than all other seeds. But afterwards, it grows, and it says becomes greater than all. But I like what he said after. He said, once it gets to a certain place, it said, then the birds of the air flock to it. So he said, I don't want no birds pooping around on me. I don't like that. No, it's a picture. It's symbolic. He didn't say you are a mustard seed and a mustard tree. He was just saying, you can grow to the point where there are people out there that will flock to you, and they'll partake of what you have, because mustard trees or bushes or herbs will eventually create more seeds, and then those seeds can get in the birds, and then they can have inside of them too. God wants you to experience this stuff and grow in this. So when you leave, you got, you got more peace than when you came. You know, we know this in Peter. I said I was going to close. I'm closing slowly. I already closed my Bible. But Peter said this, and I'll leave you with this. He said, grace and peace be multiplied to you. So not just given, but multiplied. Because, I mean, there's a big difference. You know, have you ever done something on a calculator or a computer and you hit add and you thought, well, that doesn't make sense and you meant to put multiply and then you didn't went, oh, I see what I did wrong. I was thinking add, I pushed add and needed multiply. Multiply is way different than adding. He said, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter said it and he was there when Jesus said, I give it to you. He said, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Why? It waters what you have and it begins to grow. It begins to grow. That's what truth does to the believer. It makes stuff grow in you. Why need more peace? Ask him. Declare it's yours. 
Don't declare, I don't have it, because then you're ta- calling God a liar, and we know he ain't a liar. Just start declaring his peace if you're a believer. Start de- declaring his strength in your life. And I'll tell you what, water it. Find scripture. There's bunches of them that talk about his strength and his peace for you. And what will happen is it will just start growing, and it may not look like the biggest thing on the block, but it will grow there. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, thank you for today, and thank you for your great grace and your great peace. I pray, Father, for this church, the people who are not here that are part of this church, and the people who are here, the kids in the classrooms, the teachers in the classrooms, anybody doing anything that's connected to this church. I believe, Father, right now that your grace is imparted to them to strengthen them for the journey, to strengthen them in, in, in obtaining truth from you, from you. And I pray for peace being multiplied and increasing in their life. Thank you for peace that calms storms, peace that settles waves in our emotions. Thank you for these peace, this peace from you going to everybody that's part of this church, whether they're out of the state or out of town, on vacation. Thank you for your grace and peace coming to them, working in them, so they recognize it. And so thank you, Lord, for it here today. Everybody say this with me. Say this, Jesus, this peace and grace that is from you, I declare is mine now and is increasing and multiplying in me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, that'll help you. You'll leave. And uh, you'll smell like peace. And, and, you know, smell like strength. Amen. I guarantee you when we get to heaven, it's not going to be all visual. There's going to be smells. There's going to be sounds. And so it's not all, there's visual, there's smells, there's stuff now too. You with me? So God has grace and peace for everybody. The lost world, it's available. And so when we're looking at all this junk happening in the world, what's the first thing you should do? Panic? No. I have peace. This will not shake me. Peace is increasing in me to keep me steady. The Bible said peace will guard your heart and mind. So peace is rising up in me, and it's guarding me. Don't just water the fear of the world. Water the peace and strength that comes from God. You with me? I mean, you should talk to your TV. You watch the news a lot? Talk to your TV. Murder comes on, thank God, I'm protected. The Bible said he gives his angels charge over me. Oh, the economy is going down. Thank God he multiplies the seed I've sown. Don't just let them talk to you because you'll leave and go, whoa. And not that you just do it in public places, you know, but at least under your breath. You ready to give today? 
Well, we read a verse there about Melchizedek and about Jesus. One of the fascinating things about that verse that I so love is, you know, when you pray, Jesus receives your prayers. He hears them. When you uh, do good works, the Bible said that he recognizes them. But what's interesting, it said when you give the tithe here, it says there he receives them. You might do it online because we have the opportunity to give online. But when you give online, it goes into an account and it gets logged, you know, and goes through different process. But when you're punching the button to go to us, because he said to bring the tithe, well, I guess we could send it now. There he's receiving them. He's logging it. The Bible said when we give, it's a sweet-smelling sacrifice, acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Because God receives sacrifices. Not animals anymore, but sacrifices of praise, sacrifices of good works, and the sacrifice of giving. And it said there he receives them. You might push sin, and it goes to our bank, but in a spiritual application, the Bible said he receives them. And another place in the Bible, it said, then you lay up treasure in heaven. What an investment for retirement. Some people are working for their natural retirement and are weighing it, thinking this maybe isn't the best. And we know when you die, you don't take nothing with you. Right? N nothing. Everything. It just stays behind. But, thank God, you can lay up in store when you get there. That's such an interesting concept. But it's a Bible concept. It's a Bible concept. You know, we lay up for our retirement. We're laying up stuff there, too. It says where moth and rust does not corrupt and thieves do not enter in and steal it. I mean, would you take your hard-earned cash and take it to a bank that puts it in a bird cage and puts a little padlock on it and said, we got this covered. Don't you worry about it. You'd be like, I'm not worried about it, but I'll take it and I'll go over there where thieves don't break in, where it's insured up to this amount. But thank God there is no limit on what you lay up and how it's insured and have it. It's all insured. Amen? 